quick. Today we're going to talk a little bit about vintage. Uh, Julian just went to Prague Eternal, so Julian, why don't you talk about that for us? Yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe I can bounce off some questions of you about Prague Eternal. I'm kind of rusty with regards to talking right now. I'm still tired. Sure. <laughs> uh, was it good though? Was it quite fun? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, Prague Eternal was an awesome tournament. I mean, uh, the uh, contact and the communication to the organizers has been really, really good um, before the tournament. So I was feeling like this is going to be run pretty well, and it was. Um, we arrived on Friday, and they hosted a legacy trial on Friday, which had more people than they initially initially expected. So they uh, boosted up the prices, which was kind of nice, even though I didn't play because I went out to watch the uh, match of Germany against France. But yeah, the venue the venue was okay. Um, they told me they're gonna get a new one because it was pretty hot and they didn't have air conditioning. And yeah, that's I mean it, it was okay. And uh, but yeah, so the tournament itself was run pretty smooth. Um, the judges were uh, very friendly and knowledgeable. At least most of the time there were some issues. <laughs> but uh, I guess that's what comes along when when you run an eternal event and some of the judges aren't really that experienced in the tournament. What was the biggest screw-up? Because it sounds like there was something going on that... Yeah, there were two screw-ups I witnessed, and uh, I felt I wasn't allowed to interfere because sometimes um, you get a penalty when you tell a player that he should appeal the ruling because, in your opinion, it's false. So I didn't tell the player that I feel the judge made a wrong call, and afterwards the judge told me, no, I shouldn't have told the player, but I should have told him that he made a wrong call. And... The situation in question was um, Dredge against Stax, and Stax had a chalice on one, mm -hmm. and the Dredge guy asked the judge, so if I evoke this, um, what's it called, you know, the guy that kills the artifacts, in evoke Ingature? one red. Yeah, if I evoke my Ingotsure, is it gonna be counted by chalice for no. one? So the judge leaves, asks his colleagues, he comes back and tells him, yes, it will be counted. And I feel like, no, that's so wrong. I don't know a lot about Vintage, but I know how magic works. And this is wrong. And uh, I felt like if I told him to appeal the ruling, I could get a penalty. So I didn't do it. But I should have told the judge, but not the player. So, yeah. Uh, he didn't lose the game because of that. He lost the game just because he couldn't really do anything else. But, yeah, that was kind of bad. But overall, other than that, overall, the judges were like really nice and, and didn't, didn't really have problems with the rulings it was just like when i got in the top eight of the vintage main event um which congratulations they suddenly announced congratulations huh? on that yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> lately vintage has been like offline has been by far my best format and it feels kind of strange because i hardly ever play vintage and half of the time i don't even know what the decks are actually supposed to do i just crush them and afterwards they tell me yo if, if i get this card into play in this one and then you don't draw this guy then maybe I can attack you for two damage and whatever, I don't know. So uh, the top eight comes around. Um, I drew in, so I didn't really have a high seed in the Swiss. But it shouldn't have mattered because before the tournament, they had not announced that uh, play or draw would be by Swiss standings. And in the quarterfinals, I'm up against stacks. And then they tell me, well, it's by Swiss standings. And I'm like, no, you know how this, these rules work. You have to announce it before the tournament. I mean, honestly, I would still have drawn, even though I was sure I would want to be paired against stacks because get, just getting top eight is worth it. But I felt like <coughs> they didn't announce it, though, so we should roll the dice. Uh, so they consulted the head judge. The head judge comes out and apologizes to me and tells me that I'm right. 
and that they didn't properly announce it. They just told, as he told me, some players. So I feel like, yeah, so it's not an uh, official announcement, so it shouldn't count. And he, yeah, they kept apologizing to me and begging for, for my forgiveness or whatever. So after like five minutes, I was like, okay, screw this. I'm, I'm just playing vintage for fun, whatever. Uh, let's play this. And yeah, I was on the draw against Dex and I still won. So <laughs> what were you playing? <laughs> Can't complain. I was playing Backfish. Really? Uh, yeah, I really feel like this is by far the best deck in Vintage. If, if you can make such a statement in such a powerful uh, format, because variants can always get any deck anywhere. But overall, I took the list that Michael Bonde used to win the, um, the Bazaar of Moxen in Paris last year. And I didn't change a single card. And I also played it at Annecy earlier this year. And I was one win away from top eight there. Even though I... I knew even less about the format, which is awesome. <laughs> and I just took the same list again, and um, yeah, if you want to see the list, you just try to find Michael Bonner's list from the Basal of Moxen in Paris. And yeah, it's like a pretty standard Backfish list. There's nothing, I mean, there's one Edric, there's one Scavenging Use, there's one Vendillion Click, and that's pretty much it for, for that list. It's, it's super, super smooth. It has very, very strong sideboard choices. <laughs> and yeah you should definitely give it a try I didn't actually know you owned power though I, I, I don't have power at oh. all I always just borrow stuff from my friends I, I, have, I actually had like three people who offered to give me power so <laughs> it wasn't really a problem and most of the time like when I borrow power and I play vintage and I win stuff I just give 10% of the winnings to my friends so that's I, th I think that's a good deal mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I mean, they invested like several thousand euros into the deck, and they hardly ever play it, so when I play it, there's at least something back for them. Because there's also going to be a slight wear on the cards, and I don't want to be the guy who n never buys cards and borrows decks, and yeah, it's just... It's also like an unwritten rule, when you win a tournament, like a big tournament, uh, you give back to your friends. Like, a friend of mine, he was in the final of Grand Prix, Grand Prix um, Turin, and he paid for the entire trip for his friends, so for the car ride and for the... I don't know about the hotel, but at least for the car ride. So when I won the Bazaar of Moxen, I invited everyone for dinner at like a semi-fancy restaurant. And yeah, <laughs> that was really cool. Nice. So overall, you would go back to another one of these? Oh, definitely. There's going to be another one by the end of this year. Uh, Susie, the organizer, announced... And it should be like in November, and they're looking for a new location. Uh, the price support was good. And also, like, yeah, the entire organization was very smooth and friendly players all around. How is Prague? Prague, it's the second time I've been to Prague after GP Prague, and I really, really enjoy the city. Of course, I didn't see as much as you would see if you were like 24 7 focused on just seeing the city itself. But it's, it's yeah, very enjoyable, very friendly people. Pretty, not super cheap, but very affordable for everyone. So I would definitely go back there. I could even see myself living in Prague for a while and I, because I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Awesome. Well, too bad I couldn't come out to either this or, you know, a lot. So how are your matchups? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my matchups. You know, when you build a fish deck in Vintage, you're prepared to be good against Oath, kind of beat Dredge, have a fair chance against stacks, and then in the second round, you're paired against goblins. What? <laughs> and goblins. No, no, I heard you. I'm just surprised. <laughs> Vintage budget 
Goblins. Fucking turn one lackey, turn two ringleader. <laughs> oh man. He, he even had the Cavern of Souls, so my, my mental missteps couldn't even do shit. And also, a prop decay is pretty bad against goblins because what are you gonna do? I mean, the best thing when you're on a play is hit goblin lackey. Other than that, are you gonna decay a uh, goblin matron? Yeah, sure, sure, great. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, so game one, he completely murders me. I mean, I was trying to play the game. I snapcasted, uh, ancestor recall. I think I even had a time walk and a confident going, but whatever. He just blew out goblins and more goblins and searched for goblins and threw goblins to my face. I felt like, how am I ever gonna beat this matchup? This is insane. I don't even have like equipment like shit or whatever. So. I figured my best chance is to side in all of my creatures, no matter what they do. So I sided in my Chixley Jailers, <laughs> just to have more creatures. And it kind of worked out, because the, the Jailers can block most of his guys, and you, you really don't want to attack your Warchief into a Jailer. And it bought enough time to get Trigon Predator online. And Trigon Predator, as you know, is a 2-3. And that's the best combination of power and toughness in Vintage. I mean, I'm new, and even I know that. If you've got a 2-3 creature, it reigns supreme in Vintage. So I got the Predator online, and was able to block all of his guys. Uh, yeah, so I was able to kind of steal that game. And in game 3, we had an interesting situation where he mulliganed to... F no, he kept 7, but he didn't keep a single color mana source. So he'd he had like Wasteland, Wasteland, Port. or Kev No, not Kevin. I think Wasteland, Wasteland... Or was he even playing Potter? He didn't have color mana. But he had all, like all the pyrokinesis in the world. And probably very good creatures in hand. He couldn't cast because he couldn't really do a thing. So he wrathed my board with pyrokinesis several times. Uh, I was eventually able to stick like I think a Bob and a Deathrite Shaman. But he took them out. But I got him down to kind of low life. But then he was able to finally draw a mountain or whatever. And get going. And the situation presented itself that if I was to untap again, he would die to my Deathrite Shaman. So what he had in play was two goblins, and then he cast uh, Mock Fanatic. So he's got three goblins in play, and now he cycles Gampon, get Champon, Gampon, whatever, Incinerator, and tries to kill my Deathrite Shaman. So I have three cards in hand, and with a trigger on the stack of the cycle, I abrupt decay his first goblin, I abrupt decay his second goblin, and then I dismember his mock fanatic, which seems like such a horrible play, but in this case it was what actually won the game. Uh, yeah, he felt kind of bummed after that, because unless I really had like three removal spells, he would have likely won the game. But yeah, so that's how you beat goblins. Other than that, it, <laughs> it was pretty easy. It, I mean, I, I lost the first round against uh, Richard Lessman, which most vintage players probably know. He's very known for playing Dredge, but because the Dredge has a quite bad matchup against Bugfish, he switched to, to uh, Gush Storm, and he completely destroyed me. He like, took like three turns before I even took my first turn, and I was able to win the second game, but then on the third game, uh, he got me again. And other than that, I played against, like, uh, I think I played against Murfolk, um, and to be honest, I don't even know what the other guys were trying to do. They were playing like ba a lot of basic islands, some volcanic islands, a lot of mana artifacts, and they fought hard over Nilrod. So I guess they kind of got Vault Key in their deck, I'm, I'm not sure, and then they just died. One of the guys, uh, he, he was a really nice guy, he got Tinker for Mere Battlesphere, 
but I had Dark Blast and I Dark Blasted all of his tokens in a single turn. Wow. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I got the race on with Vendillion so Click like because I was like on 20 Dark life Blast and he was on 14 life. So did you yeah. like Dark Blast, Ancestral Recall, Dark Blast? Like how did you... No, uh, <laughs> I had two Dark Blasts oh, okay. in hand because he was playing Goblin Welder and I felt like yeah, Dark Blast could be an okay card. And so I had two Dark Blasts, and then I untapped and dredged, the, dredged it, so, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Yeah, so in the quarterfinals I played against Dex. Um, in the semifinals I played the Mirror Match. And the Mirror Match, it was kind of fun, because Dark Blast is so awesome, the Mirror. I feel he didn't have really side in uh, uh, creature, not creature, um, graveyard removal. So... <laughs> he played Dark Confident on turn 1, I Dark Blasted it. He played another Dark Confident for whatever reason, I just stretched it back and Dark Blasted again. And I just Dark Blasted whatever he played. And yeah, it, it wasn't really much of a game, so... <laughs> I don't I'm know. I'm pretty sure the tech in the mirror is just to run X2s. X2s? X2s. Whoa. <laughs> Too good. <laughs> yeah, in the finals I split with a guy from Denmark. He came all the way just for the Vintage Tournament. <clears throat> And yeah, we played it out for the official winner and he won because I'm bad and I'm really bad. <laughs> and I don't know a lot about vintage. So in the, this, in the final deciding game, um, we get to a board where pretty much both players just have some mana and nothing. I think he had a revoker and a Mishra's Factory, but that's it. And I had Vampiric Tutor. So I Vampiric Tutor for Trigon Predator because I felt like he doesn't have anything. And if he ever gets anything on the table, before it gets active, Trigon Predator is gonna kill it. And the other option would have been Energy Flux. And if I get Energy Flux to the table, uh, he can still pay for the Revoker. And if he draws a land, Animate Mishra's Factory. So he still keeps beating me for 4 a turn, while he takes 2 a turn of the Ancient Tomb he had. So I felt like, yeah, Energy Flux, while over art, overall the better card, puts me in a situation where I still have to draw stuff. But, yeah, so I, I went for the Predator. Um, yeah, what I didn't know is that Stacks Stacks play Dismember. And that they would even side in Duplicant against me. So Dismember took out the Trigon Predator. And the match went on for quite a bit. And I really, really hope the, VO the VODs are going to be online soon. Because the match was very, very tense. He kept beating me down with a single Mishra's Factory from, like, I think 12 to 2 life. Then finally, at and he had several Tangle Wires going, and I, I had to abrupt decay a Tangle Wire, um, because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to play the game anyways. So on like the final turn where I could draw something, I draw Steel Sabotage. <laughs> so I tap for Tangle Wire, I have enough lands left to pay through his fears, and Steel Sabotage the Mishra's Factory while attacking. Uh, fortunately for him, he had not played a land yet, so he could replay the Mishra's Factory. So I draw for my turn. I draw a Wasteland. <laughs> I Wasteland is Mishra's Factory. He draws, nothing, go. And I'm like, oh, come on, please Deathrite Shaman, please Deathrite Shaman, because he was on two life. I draw from the top. Oh my god, Deathrite Shaman, I slam it to the table. And then he draws, draws Mishra's Workshop to have enough mana to cast Duplicant, take, uh, take away the, the Deathrite Shaman, and then he killed oh. me. <laughs> oh, that really hurt me. I mean... I, we split anyways, and it's nice money, and it paid for the trip, and much more, but overall, I really want to win. And it kind of got me that I didn't really pay enough attention to the format, and didn't really know what was going on, because I, fe I feel 
Energy Flex would have been the better choice of the Vampiric Tutor, but but yeah, it was a nice tournament. It, it was awesome to cash out in Vintage, and I'm definitely going back and so should you if you're from Europe. Well, I know I'd definitely go if I was closer. So what was the uh, what was the price split? What, how much did you get if you don't mind me asking? Uh, we got 250 euros each, which was okay because the entry fee was really low. I think it was like 20 euros. It's not bad at all. Yeah, that's actually a really good payout. Yeah, yeah. They they tried to make sure that everyone was happy. We we kind of uh, negotiated about the price, and I was able to get it a little bit higher. And I, I I'm very very content, especially because everybody was really nice, and and it was an awesome tournament. I can't just repeat this. By the way, I want to point out because uh, for our non-European listeners, I was curious, and I looked up how far it is from Denmark to Prague. And when I looked it up on Google Maps, first of all, it's nine hours. And then there's a giant warning on Google Maps, warning, this route crosses through Germany. Like, <laughs> like it's a big <laughs> ominous thing. This, uh, that must be cash from like 1939. Hold on, let me check. <laughs> I don't know why you would warn about Germany, because we don't really, we don't even have fees for the Autobahn yet. It's going to come pretty soon. Really? You think so? So on the subject of vintage, we actually have a lot of vintage stuff to talk about. Um, the New York Stacks Exchange, NYSE Open, was just a week or two ago. 92 players, so we've got tons of new deck lists to look at. And uh, the turnout for this one is really interesting. It's uh, 10 Forge Master Workshops out of 92 decks and 12 Oath decks. And the top eight was, I think, four Forge Master decks? One, two... Yeah, f uh, three, four ma three Forge Master Workshop decks just in the top eight. So now, was NYSE, was it a proxy tournament or a non-proxy tournament? I believe they were allowing proxies. And it was a $100 entrance fee? Yeah, that's what's really impressive is that they got uh, 92 people for a $100 entrance fee. And looking at some of these names, there are some big names in uh, Vintage who definitely traveled quite far for this tournament. Uh, I hadn't realized this until I read some of the tournament reports. The payout on this tournament is amazing. Well, yeah, you got nine thousand two hundred plus dollars in the pool. Like, that seems pretty yeah. good. I mean, that's technically you know a set of power, give or take. Yeah, I think my favorite top eight deck here is the Stoneforge Mystic Flash Control deck, for a couple reasons. First off, um, doing Restoration Angel on Stoneforge Mystic is just hilarious to me. <laughs> And this deck is playing moat because things like bug fish and real fish mean that creatures are an actual thing in vintage again, which is, I think, super duper cool. So could you play like keeper, like more so in vintage? Like say you could run a couple of moat and then run stoneforge mystics and you could run entreat the angels. I don't know if you'd want to run entreat the angels, but I think you could run something somewhat similar. Hmm. Another thing I noticed, um, Steven Menendian played a deck that is labeled Rug Delver. I don't know if that's what I would call it, but it's uh, primarily a blue-red Delver deck with green for a couple sideboard spells. And what was interesting to me about this is he's playing a Pyrogush uh, is part of the thing in here, but he's not playing any Fast Bond. And, really? And uh, the thread on the Mana Drain, a couple people said, you know, why aren't you playing Fast Bond? And it seemed like the major opinion was without any tutors, Fast Bond's not that great because you can't get it. And I'm kind of looking at this deck list going, man, like half of these are draw spells. You're going to find that Fast Bond. And if you do happen but to draw it, you're just way ahead. Yeah. But I don't know. He's obviously uh, a little bit better at Vintage than I am, so I'm sure he has a very good reason for not including a Fast Bond. probably just bad. 
<laughs> no, I'm sure he does. I do like looking through this, though. Like, you see uh, there are more bug control decks than there were four color control decks, which is kind of the classic blue deck. I actually like that they posted every deck list. I think that's actually really important. Yeah, I'm going to guess that that took Jayco a really long time to type. <laughs> oh, yeah. On the subject of deck lists, uh, the vintage dailies on Magic Online have been firing almost every day. So uh, I'm really excited about that because that means there's going to be deck lists posted every day. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see some real innovation, some changes. Right now it's still pretty net decky. But uh, I think the funniest thing is uh, bazaars are like 10 or 15 bucks online right now. So Dredge is like two or $300. And there are people already calling for, uh, like people who don't play Vintage, who are now playing it online, calling for Bazaar to be restricted because Dredge is everywhere <laughs> online. So aren't they also shortening the amount of time that Vintage Masters is going to be around? So the original announcement said... Vintage Masters would be available to buy until Cons of Trickier came out. And then they announced last week that drafts were over starting next week. And people were like, hey, you said it was around till Cons of Trickier. And at first, uh, Worth was like, no, you misunderstood. We said you could buy the product till then. And basically everyone's like, well, you're a dick. <laughs> so That's so, so fucked up. So about a day and a half later, they announced, okay, we're going to run drafts until Cons. And it was... There were a lot of people pissed off about that because a lot of people said, oh, they're stopping these drafts earlier than expected. I need to buy in all my stuff now. And you can actually see, like, uh, power went up, like, 10% in 24 hours and then dropped right back down. And there's a lot of people who paid that 10% who are really upset about it. That's crazy. Yeah. So how do you think this will affect... How do you guys think this will affect Paper Vintage? Because realistically, I mean, we've seen increases in prices in basically all pieces of power well and there's i think there's a second reason for increases in price and power and this is something a lot of the mtg finance guys were really into was that with the 20th anniversary the desire to have the classic cards is going to go up just purely as a collector's item that's fair hmm. but um i think that especially as vintage is becoming more and more commonly an unlimited proxy format i think that will that Magic Online is going to bring a lot of people into it because there will be a lot more coverage of Vintage. There's like Channel Fireball is putting up Vintage videos all the time. People will want to try out the format. And being 100% proxy means it's basically free to get into in paper. What do you mean 100% proxy? Uh, a lot of places that host Vintage tournaments, you can play all 75 cards in your deck are proxies. But this is in the States. Really? In oh, the okay. States, yeah. I have actually never seen that. I think there's one in, in Zurich in Switzerland that allows proxies, but it's very rare, in, in, at least in Europe. No, I actually, like, I can even agree that, like, I'm, I've am i started to pick up some power, and, I mean, I don't know. Oh, I've seen that. I, I think I'm doing okay. A month, I've got three pieces, so. Um, so I think, I think it's a little bit more of a collecting thing for me, as well as wanting to play a little bit of vintage. I don't even know how much vintage I'm going to get to play. But it's just like, I, I just want to have the power. It's just too bad I wanted it now as opposed to, you know, two years ago when it was a little bit more manageable. Yeah, and I have a couple friends who have who got into Vintage and now they just don't play who are, uh, like, I have a friend who's getting rid of his set of beta power because he's like, you know, I really like having it. But I paid $1,800 for this beta Lotus. 
and like like that's the the level that he bought all those cards and he's like there's no point in them just sitting in my safe i'm just getting rid of them reminds me of a friend of mine we went to a tournament in germany like two years ago he came to the tournament and he told us guys i really feel like playing vintage so he goes to the dealer, we introduce him, so he gets like a discount because we know the dealer, but it wasn't really big. So he goes to the dealer, he says, I, I need power 9. So he gets actually power 8, he's missing a Mox Emerald that he bought later from somebody else. So he just takes like several thousand euros, buys the power, signs up to the vintage tournament, it's a 5 round tournament. He goes 0 for drop, and he never ever touched his power again <laughs> after that. <laughs> wow. Oh. That was the most expensive he entry fee he ever paid. Kind of, yeah. Uh, he he's still on the track of making back the money because I'm uh, borrowing his deck quite often, and he's one of the guys who gets ten percent of my winnings. So <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's over time you way. should just buy the power from him so you can stop paying him off. Uh, there's not enough vintage tournaments for that to be feasible. On the subject of not enough vintage tournaments, uh, Blyweiss has officially put out there that they're going to be doing sanctioned vintage at New Jersey. I know I've mentioned this a couple times, but they actually like made an announcement, and um, the Mana Drain Open has been announced. Oh, which has is, it? Uh, yes, it is August thirtieth, um, which I think will be really cool because that's you know just a few weeks before uh, before Eternal Weekend should give us a really good insight into what the format will look like. But it's in Milford, Connecticut, which, oh, as best I can find, is like an hour from the nearest airport. Yeah. Milford is fucking awful. I was looking at going because uh, you can fly to New York and take the train from New York, and flights to New York are stupidly cheap. But even from Houston, that makes it like a six-hour travel day. And it's the week before my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Probably not, but we'll see. Well, you could suggest holding your wedding at that place and <laughs> then just stay a little longer for a little vacation. I think they're already <laughs> doing that, though. <laughs> oh, really? For some, for another tournament, though, right? No? Uh, Is the honeymoon Gen Con? Or? No. No, that was... I did. I do have a friend who did Gen Con as part of their honeymoon, but we are not doing that because no one could get a hotel for Gen Con this year. So are we good with Vintage for now? Cause I guess so. Because I think I mean, it's a really, I think it's a really interesting format, but I don't have really much to say. So, well, you should start playing it, then you'll have a lot more to say. I should. I was thinking about junk hate bears because, you know, it's junk and it's hate bears. Correct. Also, you get to use two of the cheapest pieces of power. Correct. If there's anything I can contribute, play goblins. <laughs> it's insanely good. Just against <laughs> you, though. Yeah, that's, come on. It's I, I mean, I'm probably not qualified to make the statement, but from my experience, Backfish is easily the best deck in that format, and Goblins just murders Backfish, unless you get the sweet, sweet uh, Chixley Chela tech, but yeah. Well, I think what you have to <laughs> do is, to is if you're really expecting Goblins in Vintage, you just bring in Engineered Plague, right? You just pack a couple slots in your sideboard. Two or three engineer plague, you go turn one lotus engineer and play goblin pass, and they can't win. I mean, that wouldn't be that yeah. bad. I guess you can also name humans or wizards or merfolk with it, so it's not that bad. But it also costs three. But black lotus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I probably. I think over the entire tournament, I had lotus in my starting hat once, and I still probably no. I, I won the game. I, I went turn one confident time walk. That was cool. I think you probably want toxic <laughs> deluge more than you want. Engineered. Okay, blank. that's oh, yeah. fine. Talk about you shall all allow. 
Okay, um, so... It even kills, like, some of the Tinker targets. Most of the... Actually, all of the Tinker targets. So, I know Matt's answer to this is no, but Julian, have you played any Vintage Masters drafts yet? No. I... I did, but not a lot. I... I've got, like, in, an incredible amount of Vintage Masters boosters, but I only have drafted, like, once or twice. And I feel like, from what I've seen, Madness looks really, really good. Madness is really good. It's overdrafted, though, because everyone knows it's really good. But, uh... Yeah, that might be true. I've yeah. been, like, forcing Storm the last three or four drafts because it's really fun to play. And the last two drafts I have gotten... The first time I drafted it, I didn't draft a win condition. Like, like <laughs> no Storm win conditions came along the whole time, so it was just, like, all the creatures that were in the colors. So it was, like, produce 70 mana, play 8 dudes, pass turn. <laughs> I've, I, I was wondering whether you would have just tried to go infinite of deep analysis and deck your opponent. <laughs> but uh, I ended up... I. Uh, the two times I have successfully drafted Storm, I have not gotten my win condition until pack three, pick six or later. That's deep. Yeah. Well, it's just like, oh, I'm committed. I'm doing it. <laughs> and I have had people uh, concede to me before showing them a Storm win condition, so you can win in Vintage Masters drafts without a win condition. You just... Well, I have seen people concede um, when the opponent had Vault Key going, but what they missed was that the opponent also had Mana Crypt. And Mana Crypt is like a real bitch. My opponents always took like 10 damage each game of it. I really like Mana Crypt. I want that card in Legacy. <laughs> yeah. But then you wouldn't be able to play your chunk deck anymore. If that card was legal in Legacy, it would be like $500, though. That's the problem. So, also, moving on. Uh, two things I want to talk about. So, also... Uh, the cast had a big uh, anniversary, actually. It was our one-year anniversary. So we'll actually have an anniversary cast when both Sean and uh, Kobe decide to actually come on and cast. So we won't be having an anniversary cast. Not today. <laughs> but I'd just like to announce that it's been just over a year. So high-five, everybody. Yeah. High-five. Did you high-five yourself? Yeah, I wanted the sound effect to be on there. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably nobody would have noticed it had you not mentioned it. <laughs> but I had to. <laughs> I had to. So legacy stuff, we do need to point out that uh, Matt did not win SCG Portland, bringing great shame upon our podcast. I tried my best, guys, but... Uh, Your best is an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so in case you guys are wondering what I played at Portland, in case you didn't see, because I didn't post past top 16 the bastards um i ended up playing junk obviously um surprise surprise however i did quite well so in the first two rounds i did the poops and went o2 which made me very sad and i thought about dropping but since i didn't have a car to go check out the wonderful things that portland has to offer aka just food and nothing else um i decided to stick in it and then i went seven straight winning not losing so i ended up seven two came 19th on breakers I could have come top 16 had my breakers not been so shitty. So I'll do a little bit of a tournament report since, you know, why not? Uh, so if you guys are familiar with my list, I was usually running Doran for the last little bit. And I know people laugh a lot about, like, Doran being super awful. And I'll agree, Doran is completely awful against Swords of Plowshares and against Miracles, which has lots of Swords of Plowshares. So I switched to Lingering Souls uh, for the tournament, because I wasn't expecting a ton of Delver, and I made the right call. So Lingering Souls was really good. 
So round one, I played against a guy, I think his name was Nate. I think he was playing Jund. Uh, Punishing Jund, which is probably a really close matchup, except for Punishing Fire. Really sucks, because sometimes you just don't hit Tarmogoyf, and then you lose. So basically, game one, I get Junded. Game two, he gets junked. Like, I just destroy him with Stoneforge Mystic and Meddling Mage, and he's really great. Also, Meddling Mage in the sideboard, taking uh, Jean-Marie's advice against combo and stuff like that. Meddling Mage is pretty sick. Nobody expects it. I get to play a Beta Underground C in my deck to make it that much more expensive. Which is the main reason, to be honest. It's true, <laughs> I'll be honest. And uh, it allows me to EE on 4, which has actually been relevant. So basically, I lose in like a really, really close game 3, and I'm okay with that. Um, Nate was kind, I would say, a little bit of a dick. Not too much, just a little bit. That's okay. Uh, round two was the real, real heartbreaker. So there's this guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he was playing Tax Rack Control. Oh, that sounds awesome. I want his deck list. So turn one, so he like he's shuffling, and I catch a glimpse of basic planes, like unglued planes, and I'm like, oh, okay, perfect. Like, I, I know exactly what this guy's on, because I saw it multiple planes. And they were a little bit played, so I'm like, oh, he's probably poor. He's playing Death and Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, by the way, the most expensive legacy deck on Magic Online. Okay, so I assume he has the deck for a while. And I'm like, Death and Taxes? Amazing. I get to crush this guy. So turn one, he goes, Zurin Orb, Planes, Land Tax, pass. And I go, Fuck. Uh, that's going to be interesting. I don't actually have a Ruptican in my hand. Excellent. I kept Source of Plowshares, thinking. <laughs> Next turn, he goes turn two, Scroll Rack, and I'm like, oh, oh, this is awful. And eventually, he just drops Humility, then plays Wrath of... Actual Wrath of God? Not Terminus. Which Wrath art? of God. Uh, the 7th edition. It's no good. Whoa. Portal or bust. It's, uh... I know. And then, basically, I brick, drawing six lanes in a row, and obviously don't get there. Um... So I sideboard thinking he's bringing in Rest in Peace, which he actually ends up doing. Um, so then I fetch Basics because I saw a Mountain in it, so I figure he's playing Blood Moon because he's playing Enlightened Tutor as well. So basically, and it turns out $300 Basic Lands are better than Blood Moon, which they are. So, nice humble brags. Yep. And um, <laughs> play Death Road Shaman, play Tarmogoyf, play Stoneforge Mystic, crush him. It was amazing. I loved it. Game three. So you didn't have the sweet uh, Helm of Obedience combo, oh. which some people do. Somebody at Prague Eternal did it. His opponent had uh, Rest in Peace, so he just was like, yeah, fine, here's my Helm. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> That's so sick. I'd want to do that. Yeah. Turns out I didn't do that, though, because in game three, he got Tax Rack going, and literally, we started the clock on game three at 25 minutes left, and we almost went to time. Because he just tax racked so much. And I told him to play faster. And he's like, but I'm trying. I'm doing this as fast as I can. And I, I think he was. But it just still takes a long time to sit there and like put three back and put five back and draw five and like crack a fetch land and do the, like it was, it was awful. There's a lot of um, mechanics to go through. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and of course he has top too, I think. Like it's, ugh. So eventually he plays Solitary Confinement. And um, I don't actually draw any one of my engineered explosives, two of. He was actually playing Solitary Confinement. He was. He was sitting behind <laughs> Solitary Confinement until he plays Rest in Peace, and then he dropped Helm of Obedience. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, okay, awesome job. Like, I'm like... I have I one know, turn to not lose. 
Oh, no, he played them both on the same turn. Oh, okay. He just went like, boop, boop, goodbye. And uh, I'm like, oh, this is excellent. I'm lo I lost against a deck that is basically going to go another two rounds, lose both of them, and then drop. My breakers are going to be terrible. So excellent. salty. So like, salty. I, I, was, I was very salty after this guy. So I give him the I give him the handshake anyway, um, and then you know I leave. So then I play this guy David with uh, blue red Delver, and he's like the dad who comes out to play Magic, and he's like, yeah, I don't travel for Magic only when it's in Portland, which is you know fucking never. And uh, he tries to rules lawyer me. He's like, oh, I want to make sure you're not cheating, so show me how many cards you draw off the top and like count out your hand to me. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Anyway, turns out, yes, that's what I have to do. So, obviously, game one, I'm pretty good against blue-red Delver because I know how to fetch basics, and I know that you should just go for Jute always and forever. Uh, game two, I'm way ahead, but I've already fetched way too deep to kind of play around Price of Progress, and I don't have active Jute um, up fast enough. And he goes, Price of Progress, Price of Progress, Snapcaster, Price of Progress, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's I lose. It's hard to beat three Price Progresses. Yeah. So, obviously, game two, I slam, turn two, meddling mage, price of progress, and then Gaddick Teague for the fire blasts. And uh, he gets double goblin guide going, and he plays Grim Lava Mancer and passes. And I have two lands and a fetch up, and I pass back, and I have Zealous Persecution in hand. So he swings in, and I fetch for Dryad Arbor. Nothing happens. I play Zealous Persecution, and he says, okay, it resolves. <laughs> so then, obviously, I've got a 2-2 Dryad Arbor, so I move to blocks, and he's like, okay, Grim Lava Mancer, your thing. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Grim Lava Mancer has been dead for, like, ten seconds. <laughs> Goodbye. And he's like, no, no, but uh, I'm going to do it in response. I'm like, whoa, excuse me, you said it resolved. You had no responses. So I obviously have to rules lawyer the rules lawyer. And uh, basically, I GTA'd and he quitted. <laughs> so, yeah, Dryad Arbor obviously went all the way. 2-2 two, two Dryad um, Arbors are better than 1-1 one, one Dryad Arbors. True, especially when they block 1-1 one, one, uh, Goblin Guides, and I get to draw two lands. Oh, so good. Uh, round 4, I actually played this guy, Natty. Uh, he was like a 13-year-old kid playing Tess, and he's only been on it for like four days. So turn 1, I thought, sees I see like the God Hand, and it just basically goes tutor. Like, it has the perfect the perfect start. And I take his Ad Nauseam, because I'm like, oh, he can just, like, Ritual into Ad Nauseam next turn. I'm going to take it. He rips LED off the top and just goes, like, you know, Ritual, Ritual, LED, Infernal Tutor, 14 Goblins. And I'm like, oh, I can't deal with that. <laughs> uh, game two, I go turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Galactique, turn three Meddling Mage. And he's like, well, can't beat that. Uh, game three, I go turn one Deathrite, turn two Stoneforge Mystic. He makes 12 Goblins. So he's counting out loud betting that I have batter skull he's like ah oh, I can't race batter skull uh, uh, uh. he goes back and forth so eventually he burning wishes for grape shot after emptying his hand so he like rips burning wish and then it goes grape shot for like the exaxes on the next attack and I'm like well my only out here is engineered explosives or zealous persecution and I only boarded in zealous persecution rip zealous persecution 12 goblins all gone so then next round I played merfolk playing standstill uh, so I know he's on old school Merfolk because I catch a glimpse of Vile and Standstill while he's shuffling, which is he was just really bad at showing me. Cart. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> 
you really gotta get some some tutorials yeah, for how to say we need to do a clinic because all, all your of your all of your tournament <laughs> reports are like i looked at my opponent's deck while he was shuffling but they're like they telegraph <laughs> so hard like i don't try to get an edge but if he's just like talking if i'm chatting him up and he gets lazy in his shuffling i'm definitely still going to take that advantage yeah, that's for sh that's true. I've seen not as many as you, but quite a lot of people shuffle in a way that just present always presents the the bottom card of the deck to you whenever they are sticking together cards. And I'm like, I don't know if you want to show me the cards. Go ahead. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know what? If people are good shufflers, I am not going to tilt my head in any way to try to get the advantage. But if it's there, you know, whatever. Um, so in game one, he chains triple standstill, um, which feels like I'm playing in 2007 again, which made me feel good, but I still lost. So, and then basically game two, I board in like Engineered Explosives, Ooze, Zealous Persecution, and Needles, and he has Double Vile off of Wasteland, so I know like, oh, his hand is shitty, so I'm like, oh, Needle on Vile, and he's like, oh, GG. that's bad. So, then he he's actually able to cast like Island Island, and I have 5-6 Tarmogoyf after I killed something else, and like, He's like, okay, and he drops Tidebender Mage. Okay, so in case you guys don't know what <laughs> Tidebender Mage is, is it comes into play and it taps down a red or a green creature and it doesn't untap. So he's like, oh man, Tidebender Mage, awesome, passes back to me, I don't do anything, I ship back. He drops Standstill. And I'm like... Response, you abrupt decay the Tidebender Obviously. Right? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so Tidebender Mage goes goodbye, and sitting with a Standstill with, like, no vials active just some lands open, and I've got a... F so, obviously, I'm clock I clock him for three turns, put him down to five, and he's like, I have to do this. And then he drops whatever. I don't care what he drops. It didn't matter. I think it was Regery. And I draw three cards, and the three cards are like, Swords to Plowshares, Engineered Explosives, and something else. I was just like, oh, excellent. You're, you're still dead. Uh, game three, I needle Vile. I have a Liliana Decay, Swords to Plowshares hand. Uh, he plays True Nemesis and Regery, taps down some of my guys and attacks in. I get a little bit low on life, and then I EE away on three. Um, I would say the TSN turning point is when he has Silverkill Adept on the board and a Vile on three. He would reveal True Nemesis off the Silverkill, and I'm like acting super depressed, and I'm like, oh man, True Nemesis, too good. And I kind of slump in my hand, and I'll let him, I'll let him think. So he Viles in uh, TNN instead of, I guess, Regery. And I obviously give him the, yeah, it's fine. Can't do anything about that. And then he goes, my turn? I'm like, oh, actually, Zealous Persecution. And he just looks at me like, oh. And of course... You lied to me! <laughs> exactly, gives me that, like, <laughs> how could you do this to me? And he just gives me the dirtiest look. And obviously, I drop Goyf, and then sort of Fire and Ice, and then kill him. So, round six, I played against Adam Ruprecht, uh, which is, he's, he's pretty well known in the saddle area. He does really well uh, at SEG tournaments, but it's against Miracle Thopters, which I know is essentially I have a 15-card sideboard for. So he's an excellent Miracles player, and we've played many times before, but like this is a matchup he doesn't want to see, because I bring in Gaddic Teague, Engineered Explosives, Pithing Needle, Cross and Grip, Scavenging Ooze, which is like the best card against the Thopter combo that nobody plays anymore. <laughs> so he actually can't beat Scavenging Ooze except for Sword Supplies. Uh, game one, I actually narrowly lose, but he gets a th the third Thopter combo up and running, and I I just can't beat it. Uh, game two, I have double grip Needle, Teague, and Sylvan, and even though he has triple Search Splashers, it doesn't end up mattering. 
game three, basically, I needle top, I grip Thopter Foundry, he tries to lock me out with Blood Moon, I grip it, Teague, uh, I suit up Teague with Sword of Light and Shadow, um, I draw a lot of cards with Southern Library, it's pretty good. Uh, then actually, a guy who had uh, heard of the podcast, Brett, was playing Blue, White, Red Miracles, he's like, oh man, yeah, I love the podcast, and I was like, I was really excited. And he's a Miracles player, and he mulls down to like, six card hand, which obviously means he, it's like lands plus Sensei's Divining Top, and I'm on the play, so I'm just like, turn one thought, sees Sensei's Divining Top. His hand lands, he does nothing. Uh, he dies. Not even Sensei's Divining Top, just six lands? No, no, I like, oh, I like take his hand his after Thoughtseize, okay. Yeah, just lands. And then I'm like, <laughs> Stoneforge Mystic, Liliana, Sylvan Library, equip, done. Um, at one point, there was a Dryad Arbor with Sword of Light and Shadow and Sword of Fire and Ice on it against his four angels, and he couldn't beat it, which felt real good. Um, <laughs> basically, I get really behind in game two because I fetch into C and Scrubland for Meddling Mage, uh, and I name Swords of Luxures, but he has Terminus. I have so many green cards in my hand, but I actually never draw another land after it. And then he just blood moons and entreats, and I'm out of it. Game three, I just junk him. Needless to say, like that's how the matchup's supposed to go. And you showed him your junk. I showed him my junk. I cast my. Oh, actually, okay. So actually, the really good play here was when he tries to blood moon me out of the game, but I have Deathbird Shaman in hand, and only basic planes in play, and a bunch of other non-basics. I fetch into basic forest in response to the blood moon. It resolves. He has no basic white sources in play. All of his white sources were all like Caracas and Tundra. Yep. So he's like, oh shit. He has what does he have? One basic island and one basic mountain, which didn't matter. I cast Deathrite Common. So then I cast Meddling Mage, and I'm like, okay, well I don't have enough cards. In, like I actually can't get really far. And Meddling Mage will actually probably take the distance will go the distance for me as long as he doesn't kill it. So he can't cast Swords of Plowshare, so what do I fear? Pyroclasm. Uh, yes, but I figured he probably wouldn't have it. So I actually feared Ambush Viper, a.k.a. Snapcaster Mage. <laughs> so I go Meddling Mage, and he thinks for a while, and he thinks for a while, and he's like, okay, resolved. And I'm like, Meddling Mage, you know, Meddling Mage naming Snapcaster, and he's like, fuck. And turns out he had, like, two Snapcasters in his hand, and I'm just like, I sit there, and I just beat for two. Beat for two. Beat for two. Beat for two. Oh, Dryad Arbor. Beat for one. Beat for one. And, yeah, he died. <laughs> uh, then I played against Reanimator, and uh, game one, I start with Death Rite Shaman. Uh, a good game start. Two, yeah. Game two, he just goes really greasy, and I get Elishnorned out of the game. Um, he goes show and tell Elishnorned against my Death Rite Shamans, and I'm like, eh. Uh, game three, I actually started with two Death Rite Shamans, and then a third one. And and then he had Needle. No, he didn't. That's the sad part. <laughs> he, he just couldn't okay. get out of it. Then I played Burn in the last round, where I get to name Middling Mage on a suspended Rift Bolt, and then Meddling Mage for Searing Blood while he's tapped out. Because I figured, like, oh, Searing Blood is what really gets me here. Yep, turns out that's those were the right cards to name. So then I had Double Meddling Mage with Sword of Light and Shadow, and uh, he couldn't win. So that was my tournament report. I feel really bad about only going seven two. What did you win? Uh, I won a hundred bucks. Oh, that's okay. How yeah. much does it cost to sign up? Uh, forty bucks. And you got two sweet uh, okay, tokens, okay. right? I ripped those <laughs> up. I think. Gave them away. Yeah, I got two tokens or whatever. 
But uh, yeah, it was a fun tournament, as always. I mean, the Star City tournaments are great. So I, w I would attend again, of course. Yep. There's been some interesting stuff in the Star City tournaments the last uh, few weeks. Like, uh, Burn won Star City Vegas, which just, like, made me cry. Yeah, don't even get me started on that guy. Like, the guy who won that is just crazy. Like, I, I just hate that guy. There was some stuff in, I think it was Vegas, that were uh, really, like, depressing to watch because there were a couple times, like, there was a Belcher player playing against a, uh, it was Belcher or Oops All Spells playing against uh, a blue player, and he just went, like, play this card, and the guy's like, yeah, play this card, and the guy's like, yeah. And then you just, like, play this card, this card, this card, this card, you'd lose. And the guy's like, whoa, 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 I, <laughs> I get to respond to some of these, and, ba like, Basically, it was like the guy like played six cards in a row with almost no pause in between them, and like the last one was kill you. And the guy's like, uh, "I had a response like four cards ago," and they ba the judges basically <laughs> decided like, "Well, you you didn't butt in. Sorry." What? And oh, appeal. Something along those lines happened two games in a row. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Like th See, this guy lost to Belcher with force blue card blue card in his hand. Yeah, like realistically, I mean, I I thought that's how it worked when I was eight. <laughs> like, as long as I cast my spells fast enough, they can't respond. Well, and you could see the uh, the, the blue player looks kind of confused because he's just like, uh... Because he knows, like, he's like, well, if that resolves, I'm dead, and I can't force it now because we're, like, three spells past that. And you could tell he's just trying to figure out, like, uh, what am I allowed to do here? Oh, 100% appeal. I, I don't think they even called the judge. I think they were just, like, he was just, just like turned to the judge and was kind of like, can I counter that spell? And they're like, no, you know, you let the other spells resolve. It's kind of like, I don't think I did. Yeah, 100%. Like, in that situation, I would probably talk to the judge, and if the judge is like, no, you let it resolve, I may start yelling at my opponent. <laughs> Has yelling at your opponent ever worked? <laughs> I'm not very con convinced of that. It depends. It depends on how threatening my tone has been. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I have enough. There's a guy at our store who I have had to yell at to tap his lands 90 degrees. Oh god, those people. And we've also yelled at him for trading a dollar rare for like a twelve dollar card to an eight year old kid. Like no, you're an adult. You don't get to scumbag little kids anymore. <laughs> well, about the tapping of lands things. Well, I don't even mind if people just tap by like 50 degrees or whatever, but what I really, really hate and can't stand is when they put all of their lands on a single pile and just tap the pile and untap the pile and you have no idea how many lands he actually has. Or there's I, a Kessig Wolf run in there somewhere and you're like... Yeah, it's it's, it's so annoying. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I will point out, <laughs> I think it's the MTR actually does specify exactly 90 degrees for tapping your land. So when people are like, no, it's clear, you can tell what I'm doing, be like, no, fuck you, the rules say you have to do it this way. I believe I liked your statement, actually, the best when we were talking on Facebook recently. It's not 89 degrees. It's not 91 degrees. It's 90. That's what the rules say. Exactly. And yeah, also do the rules specify tapping to the left or to the right, like clockwise? Or I don't think clockwise? it specifies, because as long as it's sideways, I know what's going on. I think the rulebook um, rule uh, diagrams always show tapping to the right. But I think that just could be because, like, obviously right-handedness is more prevalent, right? So you'd probably tap to the right. Also, the tap symbol goes to the right. Tap symbol goes to the right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, question for you guys. Uh, when you guys are playing, what side is your actual main deck on? Your left side or your right-hand side? Always, always right side. Really? It's on yes, for sure. 
I, I learned to play with the original like old school diagrams where it was always on your left side. Yeah, as did I. So even though I'm right-handed, I always have the deck on the left-hand side draw off the left. See, but I've noticed a lot of newer players, because of I guess just because of handedness, have been playing on the right. And this is another one it's of those really minor so things. I like idiot. having to reach across to draw my card because it means that like I am giving a moment for my opponent to be like, no, before your draw step, I do this. Like, if you don't just draw with your left hand? No. I, I reach oh. across and grab it and put it into my hand. If you try drawing cards with your left hand, you will be like educated and physically beaten until you start drawing with your right hand. <laughs> At least that, that's what it was like in Germany when you were writing with your left hand back in school like 40, 50 years ago. When, they were, oh, yeah, when it was still was here not too. politically incorrect to do that. What? No, no. But uh, was that actually a thing in the US as well? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Canada? I went to Catholic school, so it was still a thing when I was in school. You're writing with your left hand. You must be the next son of the devil. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is how boring the legacy format is right now. We're having this discussion. Do you also rotate your deck like 90 degrees counterclockwise? Because that's what I do. Do you rotate it so it's um, parallel with a rectangular mat? Uh, yeah, and the, the top of the card is on the left side. So when I draw, I just draw it off the top and slide it into my hand. Uh, well, okay, this <laughs> discussion is yeah. kind of <laughs> super <Yeah>. boring, I <laughs> guess. <laughs> uh, which color of sleeves do you guys like? Oh, I like black. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so what's going on with Legacy at the moment, besides Burn being an actual force because somebody decided that Eidolon was actually decent enough to play? Or sorry, somebody realized it was decent enough to play, even though we had said it was probably pretty good. Um, Vegas had three elves in the top eight and five in the top 16. Elves, you know what? I actually recently played against elves where I got... Like, there are games against elves where you, you, know, you get to play the grindy game, which I actually like. Those are the games where I enjoy the interaction because there are so many activated abilities, and it, it's really um, thought-provoking to play against. Never mind playing. I'm sure, Julian, you really like playing it. But... I played against it where I just got nutted on turn two, two games in a row. It's like turn two natural order into, I think one was Progenitus and one was Rorkthar, and I'm just like, you had the ideal hand. What's going on? Like, it just felt so bad. <laughs> if you don't have turn one discard or removal, like a way to interact, it can happen. Like... I would say turn to natural order for progenitus is like 10% of the games because you need like most of the time cradle and the curion elf and then if you get and they need to not have a counter spell. Yeah, but I mean right now at least I actually um side out my natural orders against pretty much every blue deck and I'm not sure if that's correct but that's what I do because right now my deck is really set up to to beat the long game and to be very good in the mid game. So I don't really need the natural orders. Um, yeah, so from I even removed the fourth natural order for a time from the sideboard, but it's still it's back in now. But overall, I really really enjoy playing with Rens, Rens, Packmaster, and oh, Packmaster has actually been really good. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Packmaster. It it still needs a nickname because the name is way too long. Rens, Run, Packmaster, whatever. WRP. WRP, that's still too long. It sounds like a... Yeah, uh, that sounds like a politician. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it sounds Warp. like a radio station in the in the Northeast. <laughs> yeah. WRP, classic elves hits from the 80s or something. Uh, other stuff in but Legacy, uh, the GP New Jersey playmat has been unveiled. It's Mercadian Masks Brainstorm. It will cost unlimited money. 
Oh, if you want me to pay for your entry to the Grand Prix, let me know. I will be happy to take your mat away from you. So, I mean, do you want to talk about why there's so many elves? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to discuss the plan, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, um. realistically, I think I think a lot of people... I think elves is good against Elfer. I mean, in the longer game, I mean, if you can not basically get nutted by lightning bolts and sword supply shares or you're playing against bugged Elfer, I think you can do okay. I feel saying that elves is good against Delver is kind of a stretch, because Delver is still what I feel the best first time play you can make against elves because elves still has trouble actually fighting the diver. I mean you can establish complete control of the board like on the ground but in the air there's a stupid insect hitting you in the face each and every turn and it, attacking is kind of hard, defending is very easy with elves but they're still divers so I mean in the long run and I'm definitely playing the control role in that matchup, at least after sideboarding. I feel like Elf is very much favored. But you really, really have to fight somehow fight Delver. And that's why I'm currently trying Meek Stones. And I wish I could play four Prop TKs just because of Delver. And yeah, I mean of course there's there's people not being very good. And if you make mistakes against elves, it's usually I mean, I don't really want to say like it loses the game, but it puts you in a very bad position if you like throw away removal and it doesn't really do what you think it's supposed to do, or you mess up your death ray gem activations or whatever. So elves definitely gives your opponent a lot of ways to to kind of screw up the game. But yeah, Deva is like very easy to to use. Like you untap it, then you tap it, then you untap it, then you tap it. You see, that's pretty much how you use it. But overall. I mean, the main reason I feel like Elves is doing pretty well in the US is that there's still not this big presence of miracles that we have over here in Europe. Which is actually what I wanted to talk about for Portland, because I think you're totally right in that miracles is not super prevalent, at least at the Las Vegas tournament. But looking at the Portland results, because I was obviously there, I know that there was a lot of miracles going around, and you don't see as much Elves in the top eight. Yeah. I mean, how prevalent is Miracles in Europe, would you say, percentage of the metagame? Uh, I can't really put my put up numbers because that would be like what I feel and what I feel it would be like more than 10%, which is a lot for Legacy. And at um, Prague Eternal, I feel like Miracles and some kind of Deva variants are by far the most played decks. And you have to remember that like when I say Delver, Delver variants, there's like three or four different decks that play Delver, but there's only one. Actually, there's two Miracles decks, but let's just say one. And so overall, it's not even about like only the Miracles matchup, because Miracles, and I played a lot with Joey Lossett on Magic Online, and I believe he even once mentioned that he feels like his version of Miracles is even disadvantaged against Elves after sideboarding. But it's the reason you have to commit so much stuff to your sideboard, which weakens your other matchups. So overall, Elves kind of gets downgraded be just because it has to account so much for Miracles, it also loses percentages in the other matchups. And even though Miracles might be... I mean, it's still not favorable, but it's beatable, your other matchups drop down. So like one way to go would be like, okay, whatever, Miracles, go ahead, just kill me, I don't care, I'm still winning all of the other matches. Uh, I still don't like that because so many people and especially good people are playing Miracles in Europe so I really really have to fight them but in the US it's I don't know I'm I'm very sure it will catch on at least at Star City Games New Jersey uh, we also have like a lot of people from Europe coming over and like half of them are playing Miracles and I hope we are doing well <laughs> who knows 
But right now, whenever I watch like Star City games, I feel like, yeah, that's a mid-range deck, that's a mid-range deck, that's a Delver deck. We could beat any of these. And very rarely do you really see like, like yeah, Miracles. Like, and even then, you've got the difference between American Miracles and European Miracles. And the American Miracles version of Joey Lossett feels very much like a mid-range, long-game, whatever you want to call it deck, because there are so many mid-rangey interactions, whereas the European version is just pure power. It's just like Terminus Entreat, Counterbalance, and no shenanigans with... It's, with, it's almost I like know, a combo deck or what. that's like half-counter spells. Yeah, yeah, for, exactly. And it's much easier to find to fight all these mid-rangey versions, especially like if you take Joey Lossett's version, for example. I think he's got like two swords to plowshares in the yeah, main deck. Yeah, I think that's stupid. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he just, I mean, I, because I was talking to him at Portland and we went out for dinner and he was like, yeah, yeah I mean, you just don't, at least for the metagame that he's running into, he just doesn't need four swords to plowshares. Well, and he's running the and main deck blast, which true. is the swords to plowshares against, uh, it's actually better than swords to plowshares against Delver. You're running a bunch of sweepers, so I, I, I understand the only two swords. Yeah. But still, I would always run four. Card's too good. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we've looked at Portland. Uh, let's see what the other one was. A thirteen-year-old top uh, top four to Star City event with his only match loss being in the top four. That's pretty cool. I didn't even see it that. It turned into a big shit fit on the source because people were like, "He's thirteen years old. That just shows that Burn is stupid." And that, that's what shows <laughs> well, Burn is To which I reply really? that, just if, that if Burn is so easy that a 13-year-old could pilot it to a top four, why didn't you beat that 13-year-old? I'm pretty sure if you make it to the top four undefeated that there's some level of skill. Well, realistically, I think, like I said, Eidolon pushes the, pushes the deck way, way beyond what it used to be. Because before, you would just, like, sort of supplies your stuff, and, you know, you could survive. But the problem is, you need to spend four life, usually, getting rid of Eidolon. Especially as a Miracles player. I mean, you, as a Miracles player, your clock is already so slow. So slow. So, I mean, if you have Eidolon sitting around, oh, I need to Brainstorm, that's two damage. I need to Swords it, that's another two damage. So that Eidolon just went pretty far. I mean, it maybe it even attacked for two, so that's six damage? That's pretty good value for the Burn yep. player. And I mean, also too, it's really hard for Miracles to deal with Sulfuric Vortex, Eidolon, and not having a clock whatsoever. So I mean, also too, Vexing Shusher, a lot of people had forgotten about, and then now it's being brought back. Card is bonkers. I agree. I still have my release and foils editions that I got for 10 cents or something. Oh, so do I. And I really want yep, to play so it. Yeah, so do I. And a lot of people could also be just playing that card against Miracles normally. I mean, the, you don't have to be the burn player to play Vexing. Yeah, yeah, well, you have to play, what, red or green? Nah, probably green. Red's pretty bad unless you play burn. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, burn is really coming into its own finally. I mean, whether or not I like that or not is, you know, well, relevant. It's good to see something changing because uh, all Delver all the time is kind of boring so seeing some change is like more burn means that we'll see some change just for people adjusting to more burn yeah and it, and i mean it's 
it's it's good to see these changes happening. I mean, there's been so much, uh, you know, three to four color mana bases that don't have any basics that just, you know, Esper Deathblade and just there's kind of no controlling them. And I mean, you and know, that's why I really enjoy like the kind of resurgence of Burn, because like for quite a while people have been greedier and greedier and greedier with basically everything they've been doing. Like you've seen these Burgdaver lists that play like. Almost five different colors and have the most screwed up mana bases, and it hardly ever works out. Burn is a deck that kind of forces players to play more pure decks, to f go back to focusing on what do I actually want to be doing? Do I want to be fancy or do I want to have stuff? And that's what what I really enjoy about what Burn does. Not not like Burn the deck itself. It's still uh, I mean there's more skill to it than people give it credit for. And I have very often lost to, to burn guys who knew which creatures of mine to burn and which to spare, whereas others would be like, yeah, every point of damage, you point to a creature as a point lost. <laughs> no, that's wrong. You really have to make up your mind and, and figure out how to play the game. And like an, exa an example I give, like in the burn and versus elves matchups, when elves wins, burn most of the time still has cards in hand. And, that's a r and if you think about it, that means that Burn should have actually burned some of the Elves creatures to buy more time, to draw more cards, and then spew out all of the b damage. Every time you're losing with Burn to Elves and you have cards in your hand, I would say you screwed up, unless all your cards in hand are lands or whatever, like there's always yeah. corner cases. But there's certain things you have to wrap your head around, and people who, and I mean there are a lot of people who always want things to be black and white, and yeah, you always have to play this, and Burn always goes to the face, no matter what. These are not the people who top eight like a Sassy Games event. And this kid, he might have figured it out how to play it. And I mean, it's not as hard as playing, I don't know, whatever else, but there's a certain level of skill to it. And if you don't respect it, you will lose to it. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that, like, say, for example, if you're playing a Stoneforge Mystic base deck, is Batter Skull the right card to go for? And I think, personally, no. Because a lot of the time, a good burn player will just go, oh, Searing Blaze your, you know, Stoneforge Mystic, and now you're stuck with a 5-drop that was going to hopefully gain you some life. I think I think the new burn cards that have been printed don't allow you to kind of just sit there and be like, yeah, I can just take the slow route and just go Batter Skull and I'll gain 4 life a turn and I'll be fine. No, you don't have time anymore. So I think the best cards that people should be playing if they're realistically looking to beat Burn are you should be playing, if you can, Deathrite Shaman is a good card. You know, sucking up creatures that get burned or, you know, your own stuff. Swords of Plowshares, Swords in Your Own Guys has really saved my butt quite a few times. GTA. Uh, I think GTA is actually probably the equipment to go for just because it is a little bit faster and it will gain you that life. Um, also, too, if you're playing Miracles and you're running the Elaine Tutor board, you, should be, you could be running if you wanted to. Uh, either blue elemental blasts, warmth, or uh, sphere of law. Sphere of law is pretty good. <laughs> uh, chill, or oh actually, yeah. That's an just card. energy field. Why? Energy field is amazing. They they have no way to send anything to your graveyard as long as you don't play any creatures, and you can just plop rest in peace and then just lock them out because they have no way to remove either of those. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, just think about what's going on. And uh, if you need to play some cards that gain you some life, hey, why not? Or you can play like Agus of Honor or something. I have actually seen people play the... I think it's from Sandika. 
it's an isn't it an instant or I believe it's an instant and people played Cunning Wish. And it just gains eight life. It has landfall and if you had played a land this turn, it just gains you eight yeah, life. Yeah, I think yeah, I've seen that card. Otherwise before. it's probably like four life. It's like yeah, two mana gain eight life. Yeah, that's I, I like it. I, <laughs> whatever. You I, can I mean, also run timely reinforcements. So think about okay, it. Okay, that's got an actual card. That, I, I I can see that. Like they've <laughs> the got other one they've got like the goblin guide this. online, and you're just like, oh, gain six life and get three dudes. <laughs> so yeah, people definitely need to respect burn a little bit more, and then burn will also have to respect Iona because, you know, the best card against burn is probably Iona. Yeah, but who plays Iona? I mean, that's just Reanimator. Yeah. Oh, I know. I played Reanimator on Friday. Which it was still. awesome. It's How pretty good. It go? It's got some variants, but... How did you do? How did you do? Oh, me? Hello? I'm sorry. I, I, um, yeah. yeah. It was for a friend <laughs> who's playing Pox, wanted to test the sideboard matchups against Reanimator. And I only... I played, against, I think, 15 games. I only lost two games. And in those two games, I saw about half my deck and still didn't get anything going. But the other 13 games, I just crushed. Well, you just go for Iona. Oh, mono black? Oops. Well, that and, like, the show-and-tell plan is so good in that matchup because it's like, I show-and-tell in my uh, my Grizzlebrand or my Iona. What do you show-tell in? Like, um, scroll rack. The swamp. The swamp. <laughs> yeah, they, know, they have no permanent ways that come off the show-and-tell to deal with any of those Yeah, and the, the guy I was playing actually didn't realize that show-and-tell doesn't allow you to put in Liliana because he was like, oh, oh if I had known well. that, I would just concede to show-and-tell. <laughs> That's sad. But I still feel like against a match like Pox, you would need a card like probably Sensor's Dividing Top to set up such a combo because it's pretty hard to resolve the show-and-tell because they usually also attack your mana base. But on the other hand, you yeah, get City yeah, of Traders. Yeah, so you just so go like, yeah. pedal City of Traders, I win. <laughs> and even like the discard spells, or even the stuff like smallpox is kind of awkward if it puts like a creature into your graveyard from your hand. Gives well, you they definitely outlet. take most of their discard out. Well, they take definitely the random discard. Like, they take out him, because they don't want to accidentally put Grizzlebrand in the graveyard. That would be terrible. <laughs> Actually, maybe they should side in like for reanimates. <laughs> Well, I've actually been thinking about, like, Reanimator on Earth just as a value one to two of. I mean, I know we talked about this before, but, like, right now with a lot of sack effects and a lot of, like, zealous persecutions to get rid of Trinidad Nemesis, just running, like, say, one of Reanimate, like, Reanimate your Trinidad Nemesis, or just unearth my whatever that died. Trinidad Nemesis comes back, or whatever. I think it would be not too bad. Loose. Yeah, yeah. I, th I, I like it. Um, we've seen people, like, uh, run a one-off reanimate an epic storm sideboards just for for i guess randomly hitting your opponent's grizzle brand and while that's might be not good it's still a lot of fun you can't uh, you can't really poo poo too much on having fun <laughs> i mean saying. if you're playing chunk in the first place all you want to do is have fun right matt <laughs> and you get to win sometimes too oh uh, that's the best part about it oh it is <laughs> Um, yeah, so next week I actually have another tournament coming up that I'm hosting, the Classic Series. So hopefully we get another, like, 70-player tournament, and this time I'll actually play in it. 
Are you going to be playing uh, Chunk again? Of course. <laughs> We're probably How long have you been playing this deck? Like, forever. How long have I been playing it? Okay, let's yeah. see. Hold on. Um, I've been playing some form of this deck since probably like 2007. Okay. And I've probably been playing like the the actual like Dark Confidant, Tarmogoyf, like the actual kind of what's considered junk since 2008, 2009. Yeah. So I've been playing it a little while. Have, have you ever played Spiritmonger? Have I ever played Spiritmonger? Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I soon realized it was quite bad because it was 5 mana. Even in 2007 it was no good. But uh, I did play it at one point and it was it was when it does actually get going it's amazing obviously. But mm, a little bit too expensive. <laughs> Just a little bit. I remember first seeing it like more than 10 years ago and I felt like what's wrong with this card? It costs 5 mana but it's a 6-6. Six, six. It just kind of destroyed the entire world that was existing in my head of how to cost creatures. You just take the ma the power and the toughness, you add it and then you divide it by 2 and that's the mana cost and it didn't make sense for Spiritmonger. And so I traded away all good. my Tolarian Academies for Spiritmongers. Yeah, it turns <laughs> out it doesn't have Hexproof though. That's the problem. Yeah, that's a big problem. It needs reach. It also needs reach. It needs to block Delver. So it needs to be like <laughs> Rourke Thar, but in black green. I would, I would uh. be okay with that. <laughs> mm. So ten years of legacy coming up, actually. Yeah, we'll do a cool cast about that in October. <laughs> I'm ex. Oh, I wanted to. Nope. I wanted to maybe organize an everyday eternal. No, nope, I'm cutting you right off because we're at like an oh. hour. <laughs> oh, but apparently we need to do plays of the week still. Since uh, Julian really wants to do plays of the week, I will let him go first. What the fuck is going on in this picture? <laughs> yeah, that's my play of the week. <laughs> what the sweet hell are you doing? We're not cutting this, by the way. We're just going to put this picture in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Okay, tell us about it, Julian. Okay, so the other night, I, I've always been tinkering with different cards and elves. Like, I want to play Brainstorm and elves, and I even got, like, submerges for the sideboard because they're also pretty good in the mirror match. So the other night, I was feeling like, yeah, let's just play Lightning Bolt and elves because it's, like, a very good tempo card, and it's it's I really, really enjoy casting Lightning Bolts, and it's another auto delver and there's so many things you can do with Lightning Bolt. So... I decided, okay, let's play, I think, like, minus one Lanova Elves, add the second Birchler Ranger, add, like, one or two Tigers, and let's just play Lightning Bolt. Um, so I'm playing Lightning Bolt, and obviously, <laughs> the first round of the tournament, I'm playing against Storm. That's awesome. I got Lightning Bolt, and now I'm playing against Storm. It's, like, the most awkward Lightning Bolt you can have. So this guy, he was playing kind of... I think it was Epic Storm. He was playing Mox Diamonds instead of Chrome Moxen, but whatever. So, he's on somewhere around 18, 19 life, and he goes for hardcast at museum in his main phase. So, I've got an active Deathrite Chairman, I'm still at 20 life, but he's doing pretty well. So, he goes down to 15 life, 12 life, 11 life, whatever, he goes down to 5 life. And then he's on like, uh, let me check, he's on 5 life, he reveals once more, he gets Dark Ritual, he's on 4 life. Then he reveals once more, he reveals Cataxian Probe, so he goes to 3 life. And because I've got an active Deathrite Chairman, he doesn't reveal any more cards. And he's, from all the stuff I've seen, he's got enough to kill me. So, what he's doing is, he finishes casting his Adnuseum, 
And what you can't see in the picture, but can probably figure out what's gonna happen now, is I am fetching for light for Tiger, and with him with his next spell, probably some kind of Lotus Petal on the stack. I am casting <laughs> Lightning Bolt on him. <laughs> Too good. <laughs> Out of elves, <laughs> he he did his best to play around Deathrite Shaman. He stopped at three life against an active Deathrite Shaman, and just felt like, okay, now I'm just gonna kill this crop, whatever. <laughs> And now imagine playing Storm, and your elf's opponent is fetching for Tiger and casting Lightning Bolt in your face in the first game. <laughs> oh, the, the, I, I posted this to Twitter, and people exploded about it, and it was like such an awesome play. And I really felt like I had to mention it here, because I r deeply enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I were that guy, I would like rage quit, and be just like, well, <laughs> my life is over. Imagine that happening, like, in the last round of, of Star City games and playing for top 8, and you, you just finished solving your Atmosphere, and you're like, ah, oh, man, finally got into top 8, let's do this. And then your elf's opponent casts <laughs> Lightning Bolt, and you're like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Who are you? And then just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my troll deck for the, for the day, Lightning Bolt elves. Uh, it's not of the week, but I'm going to tell this one because it's in my head right now. Uh, this was like two months ago. I decided to play Merfolk just because. And I get paired against Mono Black Control. Not quite the gate, but pretty close to the gate. And uh, he plays, is it Phyrexian Obliterator? The one that's quad black and you sack permanence when you deal damage to it? Yeah. That's a and I have a Curse Catcher with a GTA on it with counters and a bunch of Lords out. And I swing into Phyrexian Obliterator and everyone's like... Oh man, Sam's got the play. He just shrinked the Phyrexian Obliterator and, and he wins the game. Except I didn't see that play. So I pumped my Curse Catcher, oh, dealt no. six damage to Phyrexian Obliterator, wiped my board except for like three guys, and then swung and killed him the next turn. And everyone's just like, Sam, were you just were you just trying to, you know, big ball it? I was like, what are you talking about? Go, you could have just shrunk the Phyrexian Obliterator. And I'm like, huh. Yeah, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Still got there. That's what counts. Uh, exactly. I mean, I think if you don't get there, you can't. Ha it can't be a play of the week if you're just like, oh, lose. I think my play was definitely the sad pandas face for the zealous persecution at Portland. I would say that was my probably just my <laughs> my biggest troll of the last uh, couple of weeks uh, at the locals in the last little bit. I haven't done anything especially out of the ordinary. But uh, definitely just being all sad pandas about having nothing to do about true nemesis and then just like two for wanting the person felt really, really good. And especially, oh, also, I, I can't remember where it was. Actually, this was, uh, this was before. Um, somebody had, I had uh, beaten a really rude opponent. I can't remember if this was at Portland or if this was at um, one of the locals. But um, are you guys familiar with the song Feels So Good? Mm, you no. mentioned it, but I never heard it. Oh, well, I feel like this reference is really bad. If you've seen King of the Hill as well, it's it's on there quite often. But basically, uh, he was a really rude opponent, and I just crushed him. And I just started uh, whistling the song Feels So Good afterwards, because he just like wouldn't shake hands, wouldn't do anything. <laughs> it was just like totally just like, meh. Didn't want to uh, acknowledge that the game happened, and... Uh, you saw the option to take the high road, and you declined. <laughs> Pretty much. And uh, it did feel so good to... Uh, I imagine this guy being at home, 
in his local podcast or whatever and he's like ah you know i was playing against this mad guy and ah he was got so lucky he killed me on like the fifth extra turn he was so lucky and then he went away whistling this fucking song such a douchebag <laughs> <laughs> uh so thanks for listening to everyday eternal i'm sam craven i'm julian knapp and i'm matt pavlik feedback is always appreciated email us at everydayeternalcast at gmail.com like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast or follow us on Twitter at eternalmtg.